friends, I hope all is well in your world. I really do care about your well-being. After this podcast, check in with yourself. Is your mind, body, and soul functioning the way you like it? Do you need to change it? Do you need to do something different or stop doing something? Just check in with yourself. Check in with your loved ones. See how their minds, their bodies, and their souls are doing. People need to be checked in on and need to be told that they are cared about. I care about you if you haven't heard that today. Now, today's guest is Robin Mosley. Most of the episodes, I tend to learn a lot more about my friends than I knew before. Robin's episode, it's no different. We also talked about some interesting subjects off air. So there's going to be a part two to those stories. Now, Robin and I were part of a club in high school called DECA. Now, you can go look it up and see what it's truly all about. From what I can remember, almost 30-some years ago, the club revolved around marketing and advertising. And you competed in competitions against other people in scenarios on how you handled marketing-related topics like advertising and such. I was not that good at it. I never went to nationals. I don't even know if we had regionals, but I never went to any of those things. I don't even know if I had a reasonable finish. Robin, on the other hand, excelled in the club way more than I did. Let's get to the interview. I was born in Rollins, Wyoming. <laughs> so are your parents like native Wyomingites, native Rollinites? Is that the right word? No, I have no idea what the right word is for that. Um, so for those who don't know, Rollins is where the state penitentiary is in the city or the great state of Wyoming. Um, my parents actually came from North Dakota. Both okay. Yeah, my father, they were teachers. My my mother's side was more of the law. So okay. I have a background of <laughs> teachers and doing the right thing. Probably why I do a lot of stuff I do. <laughs> yeah. Luckily I've never been in trouble with law. That's good. Well, might have an in. Might have might have, you know, no PayPal. So you you, you said your dad was, your mom was part of law enforcement. She worked at the prison there for a little bit then? No, no, no. So that was their family. My grandfather oh, okay. was a judge and he was a lawyer and all that. Um, but my mother became a teacher. She ah, went to Gillette. Gotcha. And my father followed her. Ah. And then they were math teachers in Gillette. And then they got on with Corral West Ranchware. Okay. And that's where they ended up getting married and having lifelong careers. Back then, Corral West did management teams. So there was a kind of push to hire couples oh. to run the stores. And then they would end up moving. So I've lived in Rollins and Cheyenne and Jackson and Cody and back to Cheyenne. And there's there's a lot of different um, fun life lessons you learn when you get to move around to state a lot. So, but you stayed in the state of Wyoming, or did you move? Nope, always in Wyoming. Always in Wyoming. 
and so and they, they made a change. I love teachers because that's my whole family is teachers. My dad and stepmom are teachers. My stepdad's a teacher at the university level. So yeah, I'm surprised I'm not a teacher, but I chose a different path in broadcasting and such. Uh, so when they, were you the only one? Are you the only child? Do you have siblings? Where do you fit in the mix if you have siblings? Okay, so I am the middle child. Yes. My family waited quite a bit before they had my brother. He's the youngest one. He's 10 and a half years younger than me. So it's kind of like he was my kid. Uh I contribute that to not having any (laughs) because I knew exactly what that meant. Uh Um, So there's that. But um, I've just recently learned that maybe that middle child syndrome is true. Oh, yes where you get kind of left behind and left in the mix. Cause I literally got left at a gas station one time by my family. So are you the only girl? No, I have an older sister too. Older sister. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm a middle and I have, I'm only boy. And I have that um, 11 years younger sibling. And my mom got married three different times. Older sister got divorced. Then my dad came along. They had me. My dad adopted my older sister because her dad sucked. And then uh, my parents got divorced when I was like six. She meets my stepdad. My mom meets my stepdad. Little sister comes along, whatever, shortly thereafter. Or I can't remember when I was 11. Um, but I, my parents and my stepparents, my parents married my stepparents right after my parents. They're the only people I've known them married to longer i mean they've been married to each other longer than my parents ever were and i mean my step parents are great people i was fortunate to have that kind of you know the family broke up but i got good step parents out of it and so yeah i raised a little sister i feel like and i know i know you do too in this situation when they do things or dumb things especially like where did i go wrong <laughs> you know and you shouldn't think that as a sibling you should be like oh man my stupid sister brother or whatever you know where did i go wrong but I run into that a lot and I'm glad I can share that with, with someone like you that knows, understands the same scenario and being a middle child. Um, Mm -hmm. I act up in middle child ways still to the day. Um, I'm very much a look at me, look at, I mean, even though I, sometimes I don't think I'm that guy, but middle children do that in comparison to my other siblings. I'm, I'm more of the in sworth, you know, I have a podcast radio shows, (laughs) You know, that kind of like a lot of this stuff. I'm probably more outspoken of them all. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I live that middle child syndrome a lot. Um, and but in one family, my dad's family, I'm the baby. So that's it. But I'm still the only boy, which is a whole different mindset of a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Different curfews, different ways you were treated and everything. And so how like what was like the average of living in a town that you're moving around at a young age where you're there? couple years five years where was the longest you were at well (laughs) (laughs) if you add them all up so i put it more in perspective by grades okay um so when i first started school i went to saint mary's in cheyenne and then my family they purchased a, a house out off Vandahai now, <laughs> many years ago, though, there was nothing out there. 
And so then we went to Davis. And then when I got into sixth grade, before I went to Central or over to McCormick or any of that stuff, we went to Cody. So then I did Cody, I did junior high. So before my freshman year, halfway through the freshman year, I ended up in Jackson. And then I finished high school in Jackson. But then, of course, Laramie came along. I did four years there. And then I ended up moving back to Cheyenne, back with Corral West, because oh. I've got got the business degree. Yeah. And they hired me there. So then, um, I, so if you count it, it's probably been Cheyenne, because I've been here the 23 years since I, in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um. Did you find that moving around that much made you a rebellious kid, a good kid, um, kept to yourself? I, I moved here when I was 13, and it was a good two solid years of sucking. Like, I was not, I was rebellious, getting into trouble, had the bad friends. Uh, I hated Laramie. Compared to growing up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon City, to this small town. I love it now, don't get me wrong, but it took a long time to get where I'm at. So I understand moving around and uh, maybe not as much as you did, but I wonder if like that made you a better student. I mean, it didn't work for me. Um, I think moving around helped me because I was very shy, very, very shy. Um, and it didn't help um, towards the end living in Jackson because people not only thought because I was shy and lived in a town that's known for its millions of dollars, billions of dollars that I was also stuck up. So I didn't like that reputation. So I started to try and figure out ways to not be so shy. But my family always grew up that you had to play an instrument, you had to play a sport, and you had to do get good grades. If you didn't do those things, you got in big trouble. <laughs> so I was kind of kept on the straight and narrow, again, also being raised with a very Catholic religious mother. um, I would say there was bits of rebellion in there for sure. (laughs) Um, But I was always taught a balance too. If you worked hard, you could play hard. So good that my mom would say moderation. Like, I was like, hey, everything in moderation, son. Like, I didn't quite get that till later, but. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I understand. Um, Wise woman, I like that that saying too. Yeah, everything in moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still, I still can hear it ring in my head when I'm getting in over my head in certain things. I'm like, oh, come on, mom. Everything in moderation. So, well, I mean, that's good. Like, I, I, I moved to Laramie, and it was big fish, small pond, a lot of them here. And so I was like, I, I couldn't handle being friends with these people. A lot of the people, um, my, I saw my ticket out was sports. So I played sports when there was where the biggest fishes. And I, I found myself saying, oh, we wouldn't do this back in Portland, like, like a lot. And so um, that was my, initially I didn't try to fit it. I tried, but I think I got like shunned because I wasn't popular. I wasn't that, I was a new kid. And I wasn't putting up with half the stuff. And so my best friend was like a bass player and in the band. 
And we, at night we played computer games. I was kind of nerdy. I did not believe in drinking at the time or uh, it just wasn't my gig. Uh, my parents liked to drink. So I saw that side of it. So I wasn't like ready to dive into it. And right. uh, yeah. And raising a little sister, like I was instant babysitter, built-in babysitter. They're like, I'm sure you might know like the, the bribery of pizza and movies, like, oh, we'll buy you pizza and you can go pick out movies if you watch your little sister. That happened a lot. It probably kept me out of a lot of trouble, but I haven't a ton. Um, so what was it like? I mean, you move and you move. And now you're, you said in Jackson, they thought you were stuck up. I mean. Well, and let's add to the yeah. mix that my parents decided to buy an amusement park here in Cheyenne. Oh, Okay. So then every summer I'm coming back to work at the amusement park. Wow. Yes. And because where my father worked, they really didn't, they saw it kind of as a conflict of interest. So he wasn't really allowed to work it. So it fell on me and my sister, my mom, my brother, even some of my cousins to make it work. So wow. my mother would come down, she'd find a place for the summer, she'd buy some garage sale items to fill it with, and then she'd send for us. And then we would come down and we'd live with my mother in the summer and see my dad maybe once or twice. And then when school kicked up again, we'd go back to Cody or Jackson or wherever we were living. So again, I had almost like two separate lives Yeah, because I had my friends in Cheyenne that we would go out and do stuff. And again, I continued that because I took a job with Corral West in the summers to continue coming back to Cheyenne in the summers to see my friends. So I actually went to two proms. Cool. Well, no, maybe not. (laughs) I don't know. I went to two. I went by junior and senior one and yeah. Wasn't with the same guys. You know? mine, mine was on the same girls. I, I get that. Like I always tell people, I go, there's things in high school. That if you missed out on, you'll be all fine. I was like, prom's one of them. Like, seriously, if I, sorry if my prom dates listen, uh, I had a good time. They're cool girls. They're cool. But if I didn't have, if I didn't have to do it over again, I probably wouldn't. But things like that. Right. Um, the one, the people that beat themselves up about playing sports when they didn't, like I always hear it from football players or guys that, I should have played. I'm like, well, you didn't quit beating yourself up. It wasn't, you know, at the time you made a different choice. It's all right. It's all good. You can walk. Like I sound like a popcorn machine. <laughs> I was like, so, I mean, it's okay. There's things you can miss out in high school. It's just fine. Um, so if anybody's listening, yeah, there's lots of stuff that you think you got to do. You might not have to do it, but that's interesting. I'm like, what kind of jobs did you do at your amusement park? Like, did it range? Like, what did you like? I'm, I have so many questions. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So, again, I have a 10 year old brother that's yeah. 10 years younger. So, age wise, I wasn't old enough to run some of the amusement park rides. So, I was limited on the ones I could work, uh-huh. which meant my mother would keep me home more often than my cousins or my sister. So if I did work, it was usually over at the golf, the putt hut, which is still standing today. It's over there um, in by Sloan's Lake. Okay. And then um, the bumper boats, but there was also a concession stand. 
So I made snow cones and popcorn and chili and everything you could think of. Sold tickets, ice cream. Made We would make the weirdest tasting shakes. We would take the snow cone syrup and mix it with the vanilla ice cream or the strawberry ice cream. So you put grape and strawberry together and whip it up. Oh, so good. <laughs> For kids, I bet. Oh, it might have been a tasty treat. Oh. The weird flavors. Huge sugar high. Well, and suicides were good back oh. then. You know, that was a popular thing. So it was like, let's see if we mix all the syrups together. <laughs> what, so were there times where you were like, oh, come on, another day of babysitting? Like, I want to work the park. Or were you like, all right, cool, I'll babysit my little brother. Like, Oh, you know, I don't know how dark and deep you want to get oh. these things, but... Um, I loved watching my brother, you know, I really, I really did enjoy that. Some of my challenges that were going on at that time had to do more with the fact that the people that my mother was hiring weren't very good people because they didn't have to have meet the minimum wage standards. So they were usually convicts or people of that sort. So that's kind of where I learned more of a different school of law besides <laughs> the the jackson hole the cody the you know i got a little bit more of my street smarts during that time frame that would make sense that would make sense and i could also see times where you're like i don't want to be around those people i don't yeah. mind uh babysitting today yeah, yeah. I understand that. especially i you know being 100 pounds back then you know yeah. and i was fairly attractive i would say so it was, it was something that I, I learned was, you know, came with its benefits and it's not so benefits. <laughs> so, yeah. Real world lessons. Yes. Yes. Real, real world was thrust upon you working amusement parks, I guess. Well, yeah. And things that you don't even know to think about. Like we had this shop and we would swing across it with a rope for fun. And if you fell in, you fell in the water later realizing that a long time ago, part of that had fallen down and there was just a bunch of sheet metal just sitting in there that could cut you in half if you landed. Right. But no, I grew up with uh, two acres behind my house in Oregon, a forest. Um, I've fallen from trees. I've impaled myself on a few things. I did a lot of crazy stuff. I don't, you, we all just don't need an amusement park to do crazy and stupid things like rope swinging, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was one time this log, this tree had fallen across this Creek and the Creek kind of split up the acreage. We had one on our side and then there was an acre of Greenland that nobody could build on. And so this tree fell over during this uh, storm and I had to be five, six, five, uh, right around that age. And I end up like, going up the tree like 30 40 feet in the air as it's like angled and i fall and i'm with my sister and her friends and i fall but land like on the softest thing of trees like branches it could have impaled me i mean right yeah like and i, mean, I didn't tell my mom we didn't tell my mom that story till like decades later about like and they eventually like people came in and and chainsawed the tree and, and cleaned it all up it still went across the the creek because that was actually a good way to cross the creek when it was flooded and so you could run across that that uh that log 
but like crazy stuff like that. I'm probably, I think I have a scar on my hip from where I was running through the forest and a branch just like impaled my hip. And all I did was pull it out and kept running. And, and so in your hip. Yeah. Like, Oh, just like right on the side of my hip. Like oh. just caught me not like fully like to the bone or anything, which is like an arrow. Yeah. And I mean, it was a stick just sticking out like off a tree oh. and like, Oh, whoops. Oh, keep going. I think we we're playing hide and seek. Like gotta go hide. Don't leave a blood trail. <laughs> like, I don't think I was bleeding that bad, but uh, I mean, just, yeah, I understand like looking back at the crazy things you may do as a kid and, and especially I'm sure at the amusement park, there was lots of craziness uh, to get into. And so, wow, like splitting time between, you know, Jackson and, and Cheyenne, like, first of all, that's a commute. Like if people, if you don't know, it's like one corner of the state to the other. And there's no like diagonal way to get there. I laugh at the signs just before Cheyenne there talk about like Yellowstone, like Yellowstone, like it's just around the corner. And I'm like, if corners were hundreds of miles away, like it's not even close, but, and that kind of, so uh, I mean that having friends in Cheyenne. So when you got to like, like college, I hate to jump ahead like that. You knew everybody by then, I bet. Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. Again, I was shy. Oh yeah. I, didn't I know. was, you know, and most of my friends didn't go to college. Oh. The ones from Jackson went to very nice colleges. I had a scholarship through DECA, so I went to the University of Wyoming. Plus it was only uh it was rated number four in the whole um, United States at the time for business colleges. Huh? So I figured why not, you know, doesn't get any, <laughs> my grades aren't going to get me any better than that. So, um, I did know some people, but then when you get there and you're all in different areas, your times aren't right. So I initially did have a friend of mine who was my roommate and she was from Cheyenne, but she only lasted a semester her father passed away and then my other friend from Jackson she spent most of her time on extracurricular activities and only lasted through a year so I ended up kind of by myself so did was it was University of Wyoming your choice like a lot a lot of people are like uh, or it, like I've always knew I wanted to go to the University of Wyoming. I did not. It kind of was a last choice. I love it. I worked there. They're great to me. But I, I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to play football. I got recruited. Just didn't work out. University of Oregon would have been my first choice, but it's expensive. And I'm I'm so glad I chose University of Wyoming. Um, but at that time, and I'm sure this is why your friends didn't last too, You all you had to have was a Wyoming diploma, a state, like just a graduated high school to get in. Yep. And I noticed that like I wasn't the best student, but I noticed a lot of my friends like bit semester, year, done, you know, went and got jobs. And college is not for everyone, but that kind of open door to anybody that's got a Wyoming diploma was a little bit loose on the on the enrollment. They've changed their ways now. Um, but yeah, it was uh so uh, yeah, last chance I got in. And my parents worked there, so I, I was gonna my mom like 
easily made it like the path for me to get in the door and like figured everything. I lived in the dorms. Did you live in dorms? Yes. Which dorm? dorm? Oh boy. What? You don't remember? I guess I, I want to say it's McIntyre. Same here. And I was a glutton. I did two years in McIntyre because my second year, my roommate situation fell through. So I did another year in the dorms, but I was by myself. So that like was easy. And my room was on the second floor next to the exit. So I barely went past the front desk. We just prop open the door and go in and out that way. It was awesome. Um, but yet I didn't meet anybody in the dorms. So like living in the dorms, did you get to live the life? Did you meet a lot of people in, in that? No. no. So again. Shy? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no. Um, I think it was on the fifth floor and my roommate halfway through leaves. So I have a room to myself. And I do, I do think that went on for two years because they asked if I, but then my tuition went up, I think too. Um, can't remember all that. I, so even though I may have gotten a scholarship, all of my extra funding money had to come from somewhere. My first two semesters, I was taking like 21 credits. Holy crap. Because I was behind apparently from my schoolwork, which who knew they graduated, you know, hmm. so I don't know. Um, but I didn't have a lot of time for extra things and I was underage and I was like you, I wasn't a big go out and party kind of person. I wasn't looking for that lifestyle or anything like that. So I just kind of went with my friends. The biggest thing we did was sneak out to the stairwell to smoke. <laughs> well, thank God I gave that up. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, the people in the room out in the areas, I, we met, we said hi. Um, one or two were in a class that I, I took and we would share notes, but most of them were other majors. Uh. So it wasn't until I joined the AMA group for the business at the college that I kind of found my little niche of people. And then we'd all just get together, play cards, talk notes, pass classes. And then all of a sudden I'm on honor roll all the time. I don't know. Well, high school, I didn't drink college. Uh, I didn't have sports in my life. I had a big giant hole of no athletics that I wasn't doing that. I didn't know how to fill that time. And I started part extracurricular activities came into effect. I definitely uh, drank. I went to Australia right after high school uh, to play in an all-star football game. And they're 18 to drink. So I feel like I knew that. Yeah. Or you probably might've known a couple of guys. I mean, people of that our age that have done that, but um, yeah, it was, uh, I got there and, 50 Wyoming guys, you know, 18 years old without parents drinking away in Australia, trying to play football too. Yeah. And, and we're playing. Hey, we play, mate, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. And we played against Utah All-Stars, which was a team of sober dudes, basically, and a couple uh, Samoan kids that were badasses. Like, but mm -hmm. they would come drink with us and then kick our asses on the field. Like the Utah guys. Like they're in bed at like 10 at night. They didn't drink or anything like that. We're having, we're seeing Australia, like every part of it. And our coaches know, 
our coaches are like, you know, you're going to have fun. You're here to play an exhibition game. We don't expect a whole lot out of you, you know? And so like, all right. And they kicked our ass the first game and we hung the second game. We got in like a bench clearing brawl at one time with, um, uh, yeah, it was interesting. And, uh, we all got fake IDs in Hawaii on the way back. Uh, we went there for a couple of days. That's uh, the place to do it, huh? Yeah. And, and like everyone I've known that's gone and I even interviewed a guy in the podcast. Uh, he did the same thing a few years later. I was like, we kept, must've passed on that information. Like go to Hawaii, go to this spot, get a fake ID. And so we're in the car ride back from the airport. My mom's driving me home and she's like, you have a good time. We're talking. And I was like, well, mom, got to admit something. I started drinking in Australia and she's like, oh, I used to have so much fun telling all my friends that you didn't drink. And I was so proud of you. And I was like, yeah, my mom was cool about it. And she's like, there are consequences. You're underage. So any sort of legal things you're going to have to take care of. And so I was lucky I didn't get into a whole lot of brushes with the law like that, being underage with a fake ID or I'd hide it or something. I don't know. I just, it was interesting. And I kept it till nearly 21. So wow, you're brave. I had two of them. One got taken away. Both of them eventually got taken away, but I got the second one back because I joined the Pike House. And the guy that took it was like, I think I got some of yours. And he takes me in his room and he's like, there you go. And I was like, thank you, brother. <laughs> you know, and it was awesome. I only needed it for like maybe another four months and I was turning 21. But yeah, I, I got crazy. And then like, once I had the fake ID, people learned. They're like, oh, rude has got a fake ID. I'm going to go get him to buy alcohol for me. And I met two of my best friends that way. We got a keg one night and traveled that sucker around town. And we're best friends to the day. And so, um, but I did not meet like many people outside of Laramie going, living in the dorms. And because I end up getting, having a, roommate that was from Laramie like halfway through the semester or maybe part of the way because we were on the same floor we'd hang out all the time his roommate moved out I was like sure I'll move in but hanging out with another Laramie guy so I didn't get that full college dorm experience or anything like the most memorable thing I remember from the dorms was my second year during 90210 I had a friend that would just blast the, the audio of it he had huge speakers and he'd open up his door and you could open up your door and watch 90210 just cra- everybody could hear it. Um, and, and that's one of the, my biggest memories from living in the dorms. And so, so you, once you got in this little pod of business people, like I understand, like I got into my pod of broadcasting folk and we, I have them on the podcast and I'm like, wow, we did hang out a ton. So that opened up your doors. And so you met a lot, did you meet a lot more people? Did you finally have a drink or two then? <laughs> you mean like after college? <laughs> No, during college. Or did you just stay sober during college? No. So I went a different route. Okay. <laughs> I've always had older friends. I don't know why. I just I just do. And so um, some of those happened to be from Jackson. So a girl I met took me, of course, over to a fraternity. And instead of joining a sorority, I joined a fraternity as a little sister. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And then I met somebody there that we dated for like four years until I left to come back to Cheyenne as a manager for Corral West. And uh. yeah. And then um, 
I also became in broadcasting, but a different way, again, on the business end. So in 1998, I started working for, oh, what was it back then? J-Core Radio. Okay. And there was King and Colts and, uh, boy, they've changed so many times now. And then I worked there for 17 years. So it was Clear Channel at one point. It was Gap Broadcasting at one point. Um, it's Town Square Media now. Oh, um, yes. Yes. So um, I, too, have tried to work my little way over in Laramie when I was trying to sell radio over there. And it's a tough town. If you're not from there, they treat you like you're not from there, which I'm used to coming from some of those other big cities. And so for me, that's hard because I just like to love everybody. I don't care if you're rich or poor. And that is kind of more my shtick. So yeah. I think when I was at the radio stations, every year I had 72 different nonprofits that I would do contract work for for free, come up with their commercials for them, figure out how to get the tickets on the airwaves and get them interviews so that they could run all make money for all of their charities, you know, for whatever was important to them. Wow. I can't imagine like it, um, doing my work for uh, making advertising out of it. I was always news and I did sports and um, it, I couldn't imagine having to like, okay, now I got to come on the advertising, like another commercial for this with video would be almost as painful as trying to make another news story. Um, well, you let me know if you need help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of a professional. So for me, that's kind of what did it at the end is that I had seven different bars and they all wanted a, a like a, an ad for Halloween, but it had to be different than everybody else's ad. And so not only am I coming up with a one bar ad every year for 17 years, but I'm coming up with 70. So it became kind of a squirrely mess. Um, and then of course the, uh, opportunity arises where they they promise you more money and you move on to another gig and that grass is always greener on the other side and that's when i moved to the chamber of commerce ah. which again it's a nonprofit helping my community which is what i love and so i did that for a few years until they kind of changed management and that didn't work out so well for me and, you know i like the leaders that like to teach other people to become leaders not the leaders that like to tell other people what to do. <laughs> uh -huh. I understand. Yes. I still like, well, with, we have the internet radio station and now I'm part owner of CBJ radio. Um, I've been, we, I've been on that radio state or uh, radio station since 2011. Uh, I started with community here in Laramie. I always wanted to be TV. I never thought radio would come out of it, but the DJ, bar DJ turned into radio DJ. Like it was transit. I just knew people and they're like, Hey, come work at our community radio station. I was like, sweet. And it, it was all right. And, but the internet's been, internet radio has been great. We make, I mean, it's teasers, bumpers, all that good stuff. I have editing program. I got sweet microphones. Um, yeah. We just had the big change where uh, my buddy was running the station with another guy, kind of the other guy sucked and wasn't a very good at, um, running a station and my, my 
friend got tired of it and took it over. And the goal was to always bring me in and we were going to start a station. It should have been us from the beginning. Uh, we were both broadcasting majors at the University of Wyoming and we're best friends. And like, there's not a lot of like, do, would you, do you mind if I do this? Not a lot of a, no, you can't. I don't like, there's always like, yeah, of course do that. Like there's, we're very good. We know what each other likes. We know how to push each other. He's really good with like getting in the independent artists. He's doing very well with that one. He's really great at interviews and uh, I'm good at interviewing my friends, but uh, it's harder to interview like musicians and stuff. when I don't know him that well. I'm not as comfortable as he is in front of the, doing the interview stuff, but I'll get there. This show's helping me and such. Yeah. It's actually, I can tell in my radio shows, like I've totally changed how I sound when I talk between songs and such because of this show, because I'm very comfortable now talking on a mic in front of people. And, but yet I seem to slaughter my words more when I'm putting my radio shows together. Luckily I can edit and stuff. So yeah, maybe someday we'll, we'll collaborate on some sort of uh, video radio project. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Well, I do get a lot of people that ask me if I know anybody who, who could put together commercials with video. Yeah. I mean, I don't do a whole lot more video editing these days. Uh, my job went to like IT support. I used to do a lot more video stuff, but now it's all about classrooms and supporting the classrooms and make sure they work. I don't get to make, like, I'm always like, I have a broadcasting degree, but I don't do anything with broadcasting besides my free work, like radio and podcast, but like, the stuff that pays the bills, it's my knowledge of IT, which is okay, but it's my management skills and, and working with Zoom that, I, that makes the job mine. <laughs> like I understand yeah. why I'm in that spot now a lot more. Uh, a whole different story on how I got to that point um, with the university. Well, I mean, 17 years at the university, almost 18. And I'm in a job now that I never applied for, but <laughs> through like cutting departments and assessing what I did in my old department. And then, yeah, now I'm at a job that I never applied for. It's interesting. Some days, there's a few days where I'd go, oh yeah, that's my responsibility. I guess I should write that one down. Like, I was like, I didn't know how to do half the stuff. And so, but it, yeah, we're getting better and better. And um, it's easier each day uh, for me. I mean, I don't, I'm not one of those people that's like, people are going to die if I don't do my job. It does, it's not true. So I don't treat it that way. Right. And so they, mistakes are made, stuff gets fixed. But I was like, it's not a, a job where people need to freak out like someone's going to die. That's not the business I chose they, them to. I understand education is very important. And that's that's what I support. But no one dies if <laughs> a monitor doesn't work. Like, right. I understand that. Um, so, I mean, I very much had a, a life of I don't want to be known defined by my job. Like I want to be able to walk away and everybody remembers me for like this stuff and knowing me in college or knowing, but I never want to be known for classroom tech supervisor, Justin Flasker. I that's paid the bills. It's fun. I like the people I work with. I mean, it's better than working in news and everything. And so now that, you know, how long have you been in Cheyenne since you finished college? <laughs> 98. 97 I moved over I think 97 because I worked for Corral West for a while and then at the end of 98 I went to work at the stations 
did did you find yourself ever wanting to leave Wyoming? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. Heck <laughs> yes, my true passion would be to be next to a beach. There you but go. again, my mother passed away in two thousand five. Oh, my brother has three children now, and of course, I feel some responsibility to help them. So I do as much as I can. Um, in fact, there's been a few times that they've come to live with me just as kids and stuff while she finished her degree over in Laramie. They live in Kemmer. So, you know, somebody's got to watch those kids while they take a few months to do that or weeks, you know, however long those spring semesters last. So I feel like I don't want to make that change until... But I have looked at moving someplace warmer. I do that a lot. Um, I've watched those bargain beach shows a lot to try and see if and when the time is right. Because real estate is hot here in Cheyenne right now. They've got that new missile program coming in. And once they build up this sweetgrass property, which they've already sold um, their first phase out, which they didn't think they would do for two years, we're still going to be 5,000 houses short. Yeah. So my little house that I bought with a nice little penny, penny 23 years ago is almost quadrupled in profit. Yeah, but also tax taxes too in that one. Yeah, oh, they built, like my house used to butt up to a field and then they developed the field behind me and it drove up. My house was worth more right, than it is than it was when they before they built and yeah taxes gone up but i hope that maybe in the next two years like we can sell it and get a bigger better house i mean it's kind of the the we bought this house for my parents my mom and stepdad before they retired to vegas and i've lived in here this house i've lived in the longest in my life which is weird to say and but yet it still kind of was their house i didn't grow up here or anything like that right and so like like my girlfriend and I would be like, well, we, we need our house, you know? And I like, it's my, it's almost becomes my house. Cause I know all the ins and outs and I've done all the, the work on it and all the stuff since the last 10 years, 11 years, she's been in here just a little, I mean, eight years. So, I mean, like, yeah, we're kind of in that situation, but this is the worst time. Like here we looked at houses for sale and it's, the market is gross. Like, I'm not, we're not selling a house this summer. It'll probably be maybe next year. So uh, I don't know if they got bought up or people aren't showing them because of COVID and everything. But yeah, the market is very, very slim. I mean, maybe we'll build one, who knows? But because she's a uh, the funeral director here. She owns a funeral home here in Laramie. So, you know, I was thinking about that. I think I'd be good at that. <laughs> it's a difficult job. I see all types of it. We have a phone that rings in our house. I call it the death phone because generally death is calling when that, because it's tied into the, the funeral home number. Right. And I never answer it. I work funerals from time to time uh, just for help and everything, which is totally a stretch from my digital world to a world of you know, tears and sorrow and, and everything. But I have the, the, uh, the eye from like advertising and, and putting things up and, and framing I have that from television. And so like she notices it. She's like, you just, you know, frame stuff. I was like, yeah, but like 
to this part, like not the outside beyond what I'm looking at, like for my camera, but everything else. So yeah, it's, I just, I just listen and pick up stuff and move stuff. It's not that hard for me to help out there, but I couldn't do like the embalming or any of that stuff or talking with families. My heart would just, I'd be bawling every day if that was the scenario. So she's really good at her job and uh, we get noticed on the street. Like, it, like everybody used to know DJ Rude. Everybody knows her way ahead of me. <laughs> I meant more like selling the, the funeral planning oh yeah stuff like pre-needs that's what they're called pre-needs yeah yeah um and that's basically you buy you pay for your stuff i think and so it's minimal besides like you know inflation so it's like when you pass away like your kids don't have to take care of it or whoever it is it's already paid for so a lot of people do that stuff and so nobody has to worry about anything or the life insurance doesn't have to pay for it or whatever yeah, pre-needs are what people should get more. Think about it more as you get older, you know, and such. Well, and I was talking to a few of my insurance friends, and they said right now that's what a lot of people are doing for COVID. And I was like, oh, maybe I should get into that business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know what it entails. I'm sure you have to take classes, or and, and you probably have to work with a funeral home. Um, you probably have to see dead things, I'm which not- I did. I worked for a taxidermist up in Jackson for a while. It'd be fine, <laughs> I think. Uh, it was tough the first time I helped with body. Like, yeah, I I don't love doing it, moving one or anything. I don't mind the funerals uh, funerals as much. When I get called to like help move somebody out of a house, it's, or especially if they're too young to die. That's, oh yeah, I'm sure. That's that's the hard that's the hard pill to swallow, especially like kids huh yeah not to bring this whole podcast down but yeah that, those are the yeah. well see. and that's what stopped me from from pursuing it was the sadness which is it happens to me a lot because i've also thought about doing a therapy degree because a lot of people tell me stuff yeah a lot of people talk to me i i call it my superpower that people verbally regurgitate on me uh, nice good and yeah. i'm like so why not sit me in front of you know, the person who has a little kid who has a story to tell is not going to tell anybody else. You know, maybe I can be helpful that way. But do I really want to spend my life just listening to those sad stories every day? It, How heartbreaking. Well, it, well I, I working in news, um, it burned me up because if it bleeds, it leads. Um, it's not always death, but it was enough. And I worked at, in news during 9-11 in New York. And so it, it, it changes you, um, that I notice sometimes when my girlfriend cries at weird things, not necessarily like what normal people cry, like, and it just, because she needs an outlet and who knows what set it off commercials. I mean, a lot of people that happens, but yeah, I, I've noticed that like, cause you need, you, you have to keep it together to help those people. Um, but you, there's, you gotta let that sorrow out somehow. Well, and if you're a sensitive person, I mean, you can pick up other people's tragic stuff too. And, and it would be a hard job to be a cold person at like not a caring, like you gotta be. And, and even with the former owner, I see people talk to him in in public and everything. And they're so grateful and he's an understanding soul as well. And yeah, it's a special kind of job that takes a special kind of person to be a part. Totally 
hijacked it with uh, the funeral business with your podcast. Um, because I, yes, you know, that's hey, I, I can I talk too. Um, but because uh, you talked about possibly doing that, but now you're like, like I have the golden handcuffs on. And so, yeah, you don't, not going to go anywhere. And you're in Cheyenne. Like I call them golden handcuffs because I would love to move to a beach and just start over and do something different. But I got a good old retirement, like just brewing right now and all the hard work I've done in the last 18 years. I'm not ready to go. All right. Time to walk. And yeah, well, and I know I really do know a lot of people and I love so many people that it'd be hard for me to just walk away from that. Because again, I do. I, I, I still work for nonprofits. I still do. So working at the radio stations, we started Thankful Thursday. I don't know if you've ever heard of that over here. Um, so again, it's a, a nonprofit that now every Thursday we're raising money for a nonprofit but everybody knows to come to one location. They know how the it's going to go. Um, the nonprofit that night gets all the auction items that are going to be auctioned off. They show up, they put it together. We just are the kind of the manpower and the people that are going to buy. So it's, it's become a huge thing and it's over, over $2 million that we've raised so far um, just in that one kind of event. And that's, thankful Thursdays. Well, my participation in it has changed over the years. So now I'm with Kiwanis. I'm a secretary for the Kiwanis group over here, which in Cheyenne is the second largest group in the whole United States. So I put on chocolate indulgence with them. I help with Stars of Tomorrow and I help with their thankful Thursday. So I do three fundraisers to raise money for this other group in my spare time of all the other stuff I do. So that's kind of, I guess, you know, if I really look at my life, helping people is kind of my my gig. That's awesome, though. And there's a lot of people out there that are like uh, all about the do- bottom, the dollar, and they and they choose those jobs to make the millions and whatever. And then there's people out there that want to help, and they and they figured out the formula to help people help, and and you're in it and that's awesome and keep up the good work and the thank, thank you thursday was i mean is there like a website that people can go to to check all this stuff out like to be yeah, able there's to a, a thankful thursday facebook page it's thankful so people thankful thursday facebook page it's easy to spell out right there any other yeah. so al is kind of the head honcho guy he's the guy that um kind of backed it with the radio stations like they partnered together when they first did it along with Coors I don't know if I'm allowed to do stuff like that Coors is a huge sponsor for it and then each year it just grows and grows and grows they get more sponsors so there's a winner they put little popsicle sticks in beer bottles and 10 people win a night and it's gone up from winning $500 to winning $5,000 10 bottles that have $5,000 in it too. So the crowds just get bigger and bigger. The donations get better and better, you know, trips to these beaches we want to go to stuff like that. So those, those are some of the, the fun things that I've gotten to learn with making all those friends through the years to develop such a wonderful community event. I don't know if you can tell, like what was like the biggest amount of money you've raised for a nonprofit? And one time, like you were like, wow, I'm impressed by that one. Oh, gosh, they have a statistics of this, too. And they do have a, a record holder. 
Well, back in like 2009, the Boys and Girls Club did one that was like 11,000. And we thought, oh my gosh, because the very first night it was like 50 bucks. And then it was 13,000 was the number to be. And now they're, they're probably up to like 32,000. In a single night, they knock out 32,000. In a single night. That is amazing. Shannon's got some money. Well, then, no, no, no. Then Rodeo Rick, who was one of the initial persons to help implement it, because he brought it from where he lived, set it up in Casper, too. And they had a bunch of oil money coming through there. And they were doing it at the Beacon or something. And they were, he would make almost double what we were doing down here in one night. Over, like, a chair. You know, it maybe was a cool chair. It said like Firestone on it, but oh yeah, we'll pay two hundred dollars for that. Okay, but it's good. Security. But it's for a good organization. I understand what pe- we go to some auctions and charities here as well. And so anytime I think, wow, it's a lot, I'm like, but it's for a good organization. I have to keep telling my guys for charity. It's for charity, folks. Hit up these events, and there, it's good. It's good people work. It's good for the people. People always need help. And, and that is just the case. And if we can help, like we can, and you do it through charities. I try to do through education and such. Um, one more question. Okay. We'll, we'll wrap this sucker up. And I ask this of everybody usually at the end. And, and sometimes I give it away in the middle because we get in that conversation. Since the show is called All My Friends, how did we meet? Oh my goodness. You expect me to remember that? a long time ago rough idea rough idea besides that the university and besides being in the same classes well we met i know how we met are you talking about through deca yes we met through deca of course <laughs> oh you're gonna go back that far yes that's how we met oh, goodness gracious and you are not like i just had uh, two other girls that have been on the show that I've known because of DECA. You're the only one I knew not from Laramie that I brought on the show because of DECA, but it was Gwen. Gwen Falgren was her last name, but now it's Gwen Brooks. And then Zita Lindell. Yeah, I think it's Zita Lindell. She was a year younger than I was, but um, it was interesting. I was like, wow, I kind of tap into that DECA pool of people that I know and everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it was DECA definitely. I'm sure it's some state event. What year did you graduate high school? Like 93? 92. 92. Okay, well, we're the same age then. Um, so yeah, I. I Are I, we? I graduated in 92. I'm 46. <laughs> so right around, it doesn't really matter after a while. Like in the, you're wearing our 40, mid 40s. So yeah, unless you're like the brainiac you are, you could be like 40 for all I know and no i wish <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just want to look 40. i understand so what do you remember the most about that encounter daca let's see of meeting me of meeting you did you think i was a stuck-up person from jackson <laughs> not at all and also but i also skied against people from jackson prior to that they're stuck up not i mean it was uh, Sorry if anybody that were on those teams um, that's listening. Um, it was a divide when, at least during skiing, it was it was us versus Jackson because they were so damn good, and they weren't even the best skiers in that city. Like at that age, like the best ones were on 
like ussa and like they didn't ski on these high school meets or whatever so there was a more and they had all the best gear it, so they were stuck up i was used to that i wasn't thinking that going that going into deca um, meeting people i was open to meeting everybody at the time it was a great club um i sucked at like the competitions of advertising and marketing and everything um, I loved going on the trips and meeting people and the social side of it. I ended up being a president of our chapter in Laramie and, but yeah, still sucked at competitions. It was definitely second to football and such. Uh, what I remember, um, yeah, cute blonde from Jackson. That's what I thought was, you know, and you, I, I didn't think you, you obviously talked back, but you were a state officer though at one yeah, point, right? I was. Yeah, weren't you at the log cabin um, retreat that they no. did for? Because of football, I missed out on two big events because like that one and I think the nationals that were in Portland. Like I was so bummed that I couldn't go do it, but I had sports that were more important at the time. But yeah, no, I, I remember pictures. I, I swear I have the DECA yearbook somewhere like it exists. And you probably, I don't know if you still have it. Oh yeah. Nice. I still have it. Yeah. I know it's gotta be my garage. I can picture it in a box. I went through some boxes the other day thinking it was going to be there. I was like, Nope, I know where it's at. Um, everybody not bringing it out, but then you said that it's not video. So, Oh, I don't, I mean, sure. If you can scan a picture or two and send them this way, I'll take, I'll, I'll put them out there. Um, cause I remember like, well, we had one, my officer class from Laramie, I was the only guy and it was all females. So I like, like big pimping, like I was sitting in the chair and I had all the females around me and I picture it cracked me up, but I was sick as a dog on that day. So I probably looked pale, but it was, a, it kind of sucked for my installation to become an officer because I wasn't feeling too well, but it was fun. I had a lot of fun in DECA. I got to sign myself out of school a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, me too. And I, I will never forget my teacher, Mrs. Butts. I couldn't yeah. believe that that was her name, but she was a great lady. Ours was Mr. Lewis. And Clark was the other one, Lewis and Clark. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, you start off with Clark and then you have Lewis. And uh, yeah, it was, they kept me going. I think they, Lewis was, Mr. Lewis was really excited because I was a guy that he was like, I'm, I, without saying it out loud, He's like, there's always just so many girls, teenage girls. I need a guy. And so when I became the president, we got, we spent a lot of quality time together. Well, he was taught me how to do all the Robert rules of order. And that's where like, I learned how to speak to like talk to people to talk in public. Um, I wasn't quite as shy. Uh, that's why I probably was like later on, I could just walk up to anybody and talk to them. And my friends are always like, you, you don't care. And I was like, what are they going to say? No, or walk away, whatever. So, yeah. And I can't believe I probably talked to you or walked up to talk to you and Decca for some reason, but I did. Uh, probably all of our friends. Yes. All <laughs> of our friends. But then like being in Decca, I think I saw you here at, in college for mm -hmm. sure. And was like, yeah, we know each other. And, and we had a friendship in college somewhat. And then everybody graduates and there was no Facebook or anything. So it was off to the world. Right. And like the moment Facebook came out, I'm like, can I find all these people? And I have a weird 
really good memory. Like uh, it doesn't remember the good stuff. I wish I could play guitar better because of my memory, but I can't. But I remember stuff like people from DECA, people like you forget along the way. And I'm like, oh yeah, this person are just will hit me. Oh yeah, Robin, wonder what she's up to. Let's find her on Facebook. Like that kind of stuff. And I wish I could use my memory for good, but it seems to be like song lyrics, uh, <laughs> who starred in movies in the eighties or nineties, like just weird stuff I can pull out of my brain, but yet can't remember like the formulas that would probably got me better degrees. None of that. I'm like, come on, use this, use this memory for good. And my, one of my best friends, he says that he's like, you have a great memory. I give you like two or three things from a night we did in like the nineties and you can tell me the whole party. And I'm like, yeah, and I was drunk too. I don't know how I can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't have that skill. Everybody thinks because I worked at the radio stations that I know songs or I know who sang them. Who sings this song? I have no idea, but, and they do it with movies too. I'm like, my brain doesn't keep track of that, but I'll tell you, I could, I had a friend show up that I knew from sneaking out in Jackson over to the college in Riverton. She showed up one night at one of the thankful Thursdays. And I was like, I know you. And she's like, you don't know me. I'm not really from here. We just, I was like, you're Elizabeth. And she's like, Liz. And I was like, Hastings and she's like not anymore so it was interesting because I knew and she's like oh so those things I'm pretty good at I can see somebody and be like I know I know them I don't know how I know them but I know I do know them I'm absolutely the worst guy to play uh name that tune against I'll tell you that now we'll, we'll walk into restaurants and I'll be like Beast Boys license it, you know, I'll be like, I'll just knock out a, like the song and they'll be like, I can't even hear that. How do you know that already? You know, like, yeah, you don't want to play this game. Yeah. Because my, my head's just swimming in music nonstop. Um, it, well, and put in front of you, right? Yeah. You I, the song and it tells you everything on the screens. Yeah. Um, but also just hearing it, like, I wish I would be, could have confidence enough to go on, like, name that tune be like i can name that song in two notes i see those people i'm like you are insane and they do and i'm like ah, i need four or five to get there <laughs> um but yeah i i my best ever moment of someone asking me about a song was um they're like there's a song it's probably in the 70s and it's got this killer sax and i was like yeah chet baker uh no chet something baker street and they're like, what? And they look it up on their phone and it was exactly what they were talking about. And I was like, yeah, I knew the, when they talk about the sax, there's only certain songs that have like a massive sax. Like I kind of had an idea. I must've just heard it too, but I was like, oh yeah, it's this one, Baker Street, Chet something. But I was like that, I couldn't believe I pulled that off right then. And it was in fun <laughs> a date. I was like with a girl. And so I totally impressed her right at that time. But I could just randomly pull music out of my head. But then they're like, oh, you're a DJ, so you should know how to do that. And yeah, I get would get like the people would come up, you know, that one song goes da 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 da, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's this or whatever. Or like, it's one song by Madonna. Or, and like, yeah, I got it. I know what you're talking about. And so yeah, I'm the person that when somebody says a line, like just talking normally, I start singing a song because they just said some little small oh, yeah. portion of the lyric of the song. Definitely. Definitely, I'll go that route. Or I'll roll it into a movie quote. Like, the, 
And I'll say that and I'm like, oh, here's a movie quote. Wish I could use my powers, my brain. Like, I don't know if you ever watched uh, uh, Big Bang Theory and one of the characters has, Sheldon has an eidetic memory. So he can be like, oh, on this date, you said this, this, this. And I was like, damn, that'd be handy. But those people, those have those kind of the photographic memories. They usually go insane because you're built to forget. Your brain is meant to delete files. You're meant to forget things. And so if you remember everything, you have a hard time sorting out what's real and what's the past. And that, so when you, as you get older, like good chances you lose your, go crazy because you don't know what those mem if the memory was real or if it was in the past, like all that stuff. So I'm glad I'm not that far gone down the path, but um, yeah, when people say I forget a lot, you're supposed to forget your brain is built to forget things. It's okay. Like I tell my friends that he's like, like you deleted all those memories cause you have kids and you got to keep the memories of your kids throughout your life. Cause they'll remind you when you forgot about something. So you have to remember their stuff. And he's like, okay, that's it. I believe you. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. I just thought I had a bad memory. And I was like, you just choose to remember the more important things. Not well. Know. And I like to forgive move on with life and be like, go. I don't need to store that awful memory ever again. So we'll be done with that and I can make more space. <laughs> I wish I could. There are times I'm sure, I mean, I'm not the only one that you're driving down the road and you're like, why did I do that in 1985? I can't believe like, not letting you go back and change anything, but you're just embarrassed by some action you did in your past life. Everything, it just hits you in the head and I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Yep. Uh, I know I'm not the only one, but yeah, I, then you got to learn how not to punish yourself for that kind of stuff. So yeah, if you killed someone, you should be, you should be guilty. Yes. You should feel shitty. But if you like, you know, cut somebody off when you're 18 and you're 40 something now, you're fine. You're okay. You can let that one go. Let that go. Yeah. Let that one go. I, I got to live some life. Yeah. I didn't even touch on all the people I met through the radio stations or even Corral West. You know, they used to have those uh, RCA records they give out when you bought jeans. Well, they had to go meet the artist. And All guess right. who got to go on those trips? You know, so like meeting Dirk Bentley in Vegas, spinning on a piano before he actually hit it big. And I'm like, oh, who's next? Some girl named Carrie Underwood? <laughs> Jeez. How long do we have to stay back here and drink? <laughs> At least you got a drink. I met a lot of these people through putting a camera in front of them and right. such so when i got to go to saint jude's you know there's a lot of different life lessons I've, i got to really do the opportunities you know were pretty amazing and some of that you know the doubling down to georgia what's his name charlie daniels yeah i met him i thought i'd really like him no no it's difficult to meet celebrities because they'll ruin your impression a lot of the time yes yes i've heard that a lot heard that a lot but yeah there's a lot of stuff i guess i didn't realize how in depth we could be much i know <laughs> yeah i maybe we'll have this is a good one we can have a podcast um i don't know how hopefully we'll keep ourselves out of the libel world um meeting celebrities uh maybe keep the negative stories but keep tell the positive good stuff uh because i have a few that i've met through tv and and video and such um and everything there's stories i wouldn't tell and there's stories i would tell um but yeah maybe we'll have a couple of people do that together and you can be on that show as well and we'll we'll cover that aspect of your life 
because oh we did. Oh, I don't know. You if have I to start writing it down. Yeah, start thinking about it. But I'll give yeah. you time before I get to that one. I remember meeting Tough Huberman. Oh yeah. Working at Crow West and um, Trevor Brazil. I mean, he's what four-time world champion. Does that wow. make it more important than uh, Prince? <laughs> more important than Prince. Uh, I saw Prince perform at the National Finals Rodeo. That's an interesting venue for him to perform at, but that's rad. It was in 1999, and he sang the song. 1999. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It was great. I didn't get to meet. I worked Shine Frontier Days when Tough was kicking ass. Um, I was in the pit, like, with a camera, like, in the middle of the arena doing bowls and but the next year they changed it. So you had to wear country gear. And I was like, I don't own any of that stuff. And I'm not doing it for a job. Not my gig. I don't still don't have a hat or still don't have boots. It's just not how I roll. And <laughs> I think I went and worked at a summer camp after that. But yeah, it was like, it was interesting because the guy I worked with that we were over there in Cheyenne, we would drive back to Laramie. We'd talk rodeo the whole way back. And, I, and I'd laugh because I was like, we never cared one iota about rodeo. No, we're, we're, we know who the leaders are today. Tough was just killing it at the time. And I was like. At Bauer Boys. Yeah, I was just like, I can't believe we're talking about this. And so, yeah, it was, uh, that was interesting um, experience. I, the, the bulls were easy to shoot. They just spun around. Um, right. Bronx came like right at you. They jumped over our top of our little area. I mean, it's covered in cement and everything. It was safe. Right. So, they did you ever beat Stu Pearson doing that? I don't know. I couldn't tell you names offhand. Oh, okay. It, I mean, it was just like next thing I know, we're interns. I work in the university, and we're like, "Oh, get a call. We're the best camera guys." Sure. And so we'll go <laughs> over there. Yeah, and work a couple days. And uh, I mean, I shot sport. I was really good. So it was follow the the horse, follow the animal. I understood that kind of. I could shoot sports really well. So. It wasn't a stretch. And I think I'd shot some rodeo before here in Laramie. So, um, but I was not in a pit, like having them charge at me. That was a different story. But uh, <laughs> going around the outside. Uh, so, I mean, wow, we've gotten over since my last question and my last out. But um, no, I'm cut. This is a, a good story. I was like, uh, we're doing a story on the retiring of the rodeo coach here at the university in the 90s. And one of our interns is a bull rider for the rodeo team. Pete Burns was the coach. And I'm, I got my camera on my shoulder and I'm up in the chute, but on top of the chute bull, like I can put my hand down on its ass if I wanted to. My friends all locking and loaded in. And all I thought was, you are the craziest person on the planet right now. You're strapping yourself to a <laughs> beast, like not a happy one. Like that was real, right? In the shoot, like how real it is. And he did it, did his little thing and rode for a little bit, stayed on that second one, the best ride of his, but, and he legit was a crazy guy. Like one of the crazier people I knew in my life that would just do about anything. And of course he had to be a bull rider. Okay. That, that right there, I went, never, ever. Why say I can do that? Like, <laughs> oh, I can do that. I will never yeah. like, and I was in my twenties. Where I was, you know, not scared of much and everything. I was like, no, I'll never say I can bull ride. Never, 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 never. Have you been never. bucked off an animal at all? A horse or? No, I've done the electric ones, but that's <laughs> a totally different story. 
but no, no, I got been kicked in the head by a horse when I was a kid. Ooh. But yeah. And like it made my head all bloody, but it was a little tiny nick. It scared the crap out of my mom, but it was like, oh, cleaned up. And I was chasing my dog. It was too close to this horse. Too close, to, yeah, the horse. And the horse got tired of me going around it and popped me in the head. But I'm not scared of them because of that. Like, I'll ride a horse and I'm very respectful of them. But no, I'm not getting on a bull anytime soon or a horse that wants to see me off anytime soon. That was the big thing again with me growing up because Corral West, yeah, a lot of cowboys, well, they'd come through for the rodeos and they wouldn't have money and they'd want to make enough money to make a purse. So then my dad would say, well, you could work here. They didn't have anywhere to live. So, oh, you can come live with us. So we always had these strangers coming in and out, cowboys. And I'd end up down at the rodeo, the Cody Stampede most of the time, checking out cowboys. Well, yeah. <laughs> that will happen. All right. I want to I thank you for uh, giving me your time. Here You're very welcome. I don't know if I was very... What's the word? Entertaining. <laughs> I am very intrigued to hear the stories about all the musicians, celebrities that Robin has met uh, along the way through her jobs. Uh, Corral West, raising money, working with Shine Frontier Days and such. It'll be a, a great part two to this podcast. Now, friends, all my friends can be found on Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and iTunes as well. But the main site's Podbeam. You may be listening to it there right now. But if you like the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you use and then go like the Facebook page. Make sure you tell your friends so they can be my friends, so we can listen and do the show every weekend. Wait, that's not how the quote goes. Now, if you want to hear the real hip-hop quote, you might want to turn into cbjradio.com. Yeah, start listening now. It's a free internet station, brand new shows every day except Sundays. That is Reflection Day on the station. Shows range from hip-hop to rock to all independent artist shows to a Friday night request show. And don't forget about retro Saturday nights on cbjradio.com. So go to your browser, favorite cbjradio.com. It's the only internet radio station you want to listen to. On to the next episode. (laughs) 